Hey guys, before you listen to this episode, I have something exciting to share. You can now watch little things, as in I record it live from my little in-home studio. It's on the Time of Grace YouTube channel or timeofgrace.org TV, or you can go straight to the Time of Grace app. So grab your cup of coffee, sit down, and let's chat. We are starting a new series on motherhood today with an episode that I'm calling, This Is Your Calling. Now, I've been a mom for 22 and a half years or so, and we need to understand that it is not an accident if you have a child. And I'm going to say it's not an accident if you've given birth to a child, and it's not an accident if you have adopted children. So we'll talk about adoption in a little bit, but first let's just talk about how we can be sure it's not an accident if you had a child. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A, child of God. Here are little things we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. So in the book of Exodus, we're um, introduced to the Pharaoh, who was the king of the land. And the Israelites were slaves at the time. And Pharaoh decided that he needed to get rid of some of these children that were being born because they were outnumbering the Egyptians. So he told the midwives, the people who helped the Israelites give birth, to kill any baby boy as it was being born, but to let the little girls live. Well, that's not what the Israelite midwives did. They let the boys live because they're not going to kill the babies. And they were brought before Pharaoh and he asked them, why have you done this? Why are you letting these children live? And they said, well, the Israelite women aren't like the Egyptian women. The Israelite women are strong and they're vigorous and they give birth before we even arrive on site. So there's not a whole lot that we can do about this. And we're told this in the book of Exodus. So Exodus 1 verses 20 to 21 say this. So God was kind to the midwives the next verse. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. That was God deliberately opening their wombs, choosing to give them children. Now, if that wasn't enough, don't worry. In Genesis chapter 20, we're given another example that shows this very thing. So Abraham and Sarah went to live for a time in the Negev. And this was not a place that um, Abraham thought he would find anyone of faith. And so when he got there, he was scared that they would take Sarah, his wife, and kill him. And so he told Sarah, just lie and say that you're my sister. Now, he will explain later on that it's not a total lie. (laughs) So... Um, which is a good thing to talk about right now, because if you have children, this is going to come up. So I like to say, you know, when, when we get sworn in to give testimony in a court of law, we're asked to tell the truth, 
the whole truth and nothing but the truth. When you have teenagers and young adults someday, you will need to remember this because a half lie is still a lie. Yes, Abraham, that is true. If you're only telling half of the truth, you're still not telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So what was this half lie? Well, Abraham and Sarah shared the same father, but had different mothers. So he said, when I said that this is my sister, technically she's my half sister. Oh, but also she's my wife. Okay. So again, a half lie is a whole lie. So um, we're not giving Abraham any passes on his half lie. Anyway, what happens is he says when he comes to the country that this is his sister. So she's taken into Abimelech's harem. And what happens? God came to Abimelech in a dream in the middle of the night and said, Abimelech, you're as good as a dead man because you have taken another man's wife. And Abimelech courageously stood against God and said, hey, hold on a second. I have a clean conscience here. I didn't know it was his wife. He told me that it was his sister. Are you going to blame an innocent man when I didn't know? And God said, no, I'm not, but you need to return this man's wife. And we're also told that God said, I have kept you from touching her. And I think that is amazing in and of itself. Just looking at it from the standpoint of a woman, um, how scary that must have been for Sarah to be taken and not knowing what would be expected of her when God kept her secure and he kept her safe and kept Abimelech from touching her. So even when her husband didn't defend her and allowed her to be taken. God was her defender, which is uh, just obviously awesome in and of itself. Anyway, getting back to this and the point that I'm trying to make. So the next morning, Abimelech gathers all the officials and Abraham is brought before him and he says, you know, why have you done this? And that's when Abraham says, well, technically she's my half sister And Abimelech says, hey, look, just take her. And by the way, I'm going to give you some cattle and this offering and just go and pray to your God for us. I don't want anything to do with her. Just go live your life. Be on your way. And um, Abraham did. And this is the interesting part. So in Genesis 20, verses 17 to 18, this is what we read. And God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. If you've had a child, it's not a mistake. It doesn't happen by accident. It may have taken you off guard. It didn't take God off guard. There's no children that God didn't know about. So that's the first thing we need to know. And the reason that that's so important is because so many times as mothers, when we're about to have a baby, we are so pumped. And, you know, pregnancy can be grueling and 
tough and hard. And you start to wonder, wait a second, why have I done this? And then, you know, labor is what labor is. And then you hold the baby and hopefully you have this like, okay, it was worth it. You know, I've gone through a lot, but it was worth it. But for many of us, the joy of having the child fades as the reality sets in, which is super sleepless nights and not really understanding what we're doing. I mean, new moms, it's crazy. I was just talking with a couple who have like a four or five month old baby. And it's crazy how we take people through driver's ed, you know, for three weeks or whatever. And then they have to spend so many hours behind the wheel with their parents and and with other people who are helping teach them how to drive. They have to have the, the driver's ed trainers, instructors do so many hours and their parents have to sign off on a form now that they've done so many hours. And yet, these new parents have these babies, another life to take care of. And we send them home from the hospital like, hey, good luck. Hope it goes well. You know, way to go. This is a life. And if you're not proximity wise close to your parents, or if you're not close in relationship to your parents, and you don't have you know, the people who are mentoring you around you, who you can call and say, I don't, I don't know what's going on. How are you supposed to figure this out? Like this is a life. This is a huge thing. So that's just to say that for most parents and mothers, even when we absolutely adore our children, a time comes when we're like, what have I gotten into? I am in so far over my head and I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And if it doesn't happen in the first year of life, it will definitely happen at some point. It's going to happen when you start potty training, or when you get to the terrible twos, or when you get to school. You know, for some of us, we don't know that our children has a learning disability until they're well into first or second grade. And all of a sudden it becomes apparent that they're really struggling to read or there's more going on. And then you get the teen years and the, and the early twenties and the young adult years and all the things. And it is so easy to become overwhelmed as a mom and wonder if God made a mistake in making you this child's mom. God, I don't I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if this is what you intended. I feel like I'm screwing this up. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Let me just assure you first and foremost, no mistakes. All that that means when you're feeling overwhelmed is that you need help. And that is not a bad thing. The the sooner you recognize that and the sooner you wave your white flag, the better off you are. So I was very blessed that my mother and my mother-in-law live in the same town as I live. So I had the opportunity when my children were absolutely crazy and I thought I was going to lose my mind 
to call my mom up and say, mom, I, I'm really struggling. And she would hop in her car and she would come over. And honestly, 15 minutes when she walked through the door, it didn't even matter if my kids were still being rambunctious and crazy or whatever. The fact that I had help changed everything. Mostly it changed my mood. I didn't feel like I was in the battle alone. As long as there was somebody else there with me, I could get through. And that's what we need to remember as we're going through this motherhood journey that there are a whole other, a whole lot of other moms on the same journey with us. There are a whole lot of people who are going through exactly what we're going through at the same time that we're going through. So don't try to do it alone. But you have to remember in all of this that this is your calling, that this is important because your children have one mom. No, yes, there might be stepmoms involved. Yes, there might be, uh, you know, an open adoption. That's fine. The point being, there may be many employees at your workplace. And there may be many people who can volunteer at the church. And there may be many people who work at the community center. But your children have one mom. And this is going to make a difference as we go forward. What do we do when we're in those seasons that are really, really hard? I was in one of those um, seasons and I was at the breaking point. And I remember coming to just throw myself on my bed and throw myself before the Lord and just crying out for help. Like, God, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I am so overwhelmed I don't know which direction to go. I don't know how to reach this child. Show me what I need to know. And a verse came to mind, and it was Luke 22, verse 31. And at first, it might seem like a very strange verse, but I'm going to explain it. So Luke 22, 31 says this. Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This was a reminder that Satan is after my children. That when I'm struggling with them and I'm ready to throw in the towel and I want to give up, Satan would be super happy for me to do that. In fact, that's the temptation. I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. I can't. Someone else will have to deal with this. When we remember that our children are our calling, it's not somebody else's problem. We can remember who the real enemy is. The devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. So when we're in the struggle, it may be our sinful flesh. You know, I I've, I say it all the time. I'm a type A planner, Right. I can be a control freak and I have had to learn in many ways (laughs) and on many occasions to let go of control, especially as my children get older. They have the right to make some decisions. They have the right to do a lot of things on their own and I don't need to be micromanaging them. In fact, that's not the way it should be. I should have raised them so that as they get older, 
they can make those decisions and I can just applaud them and I don't have to follow them around and I don't have to second guess them. So, you know, it may be my sinful nature that needs a check. It may be the child's sinful nature. It may be the world. This is a constant battle. As your children get into their teenage and young adult years, you are constantly battling all the things that the world tells them to do and be. And it can be so difficult. And you just have to keep praying. You know, if Satan is is trying to sift our children, if he's trying to grab them, we have to remember who we are. We're God's children. He is on our side. We need to be in prayer, constant prayer for our children. When we're ready to give up, that's exactly when we wave the white flag flag to God and be like, okay, I need your help. Like, I don't get it. I don't know what to do. It's the David and Goliath situation, right? But how did David and Goliath end? God beat Goliath through David in a miraculous way. And that's our hope too. That's our hope in our prayer. So I want us to remember, as this is our calling, that we need to be all in for our children. And what does this mean? First of all, we need to be all in with time. Little kids, they love to wake you up at five in the morning, six in the morning, whenever. Late, um, older kids, their time is late at night. That's not my time. I, I prefer to be in bed early and I prefer to be up early. But if I'm going to be there for my children, I need to be available sometimes late at night on their schedule, not mine. I need to be all in when it comes to sharing my time with my children. I also need to be all in when it comes to teaching them the Bible. Again, that's my job. It is not the school's job. It's not the church's job. Yeah, the school and the church may participate in that. But let me tell you what, if you want your children to walk with God, it's not going to happen if you send them to a Christian school, but you don't walk with God yourself. Because what they will see is that you are willing to drop your children off and then you go live your life however you want. I want my children to walk with God. So that means it is my job to be the example, but also to teach and train them. I have been very involved in my children as far as their Sunday school life, as far as Bible history, putting on plays at church. Um, I'm teaching the teen Bible study right now. Now, I am not saying that that is the role that you will take because not everybody is cut out to be a teacher. That is something that I'm specifically gifted to do. But it does mean that you can have devotions with them at home. When my kids were little, I did the... um, I think it was called uh, Bible's uh, Book of Devotions for Preschoolers by Crystal Bauman. It was a phenomenal little book, just had a little tiny Bible passage, a little paragraph, a prayer. That's how we started devotions when my firstborn was like two. And as soon as we could, we moved into just reading the Bible, just reading like a chapter out of the Bible every night. And yeah, that, you know, My older ones would probably get more than my little ones, but it was just the matter of having a devotion time at home that was dedicated to reading God's word and being in prayer. And listen, 
If that's hard for you, it's okay. There are lots and lots of devotion books. Time of Grace offers many. Just get in the word somehow, some way. You don't have to um, pretend like you understand everything. If you really struggle with what the Bible means, then get these devotion books that explain things to you. Just do something. You know, as my kids have gotten older, we do Bible studies at home, sometimes with their friends. And you don't have to write the Bible study. You don't even have to, you know, open the Bible and start explaining it. There are many Bible studies available that not only give you the whole, you know, text of the Bible, explain what it means, have the questions there, but they also have the answers. So you just have to facilitate. And look, if not you, who? Like this is, this is our thing to be all in to teach our, our children the word of God. Yes, take them to the Christian school if that's something that works for you. Yes, have them involved in church. Let them get whatever they can from there, but let them see that you are equally dedicated at home to being in the word, living the word, to seeking God's will in his word, that you're all in when it comes to being in the word. Because look, there are no guarantees. Even when you are in that, we know from the Bible, Hezekiah was a godly man and Manasseh was one of the most evil people, mo- one of the most evil kings in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve, they gave birth to Cain. Like you can walk with God and still have children that walk away from God, but at least do your part. We know that God is is in it and he will work in his ways. We know that Children are fully capable of walking away, but just do your part. Um, Be all in when it comes to their hopes and dreams. Now, sometimes this means being realistic. If your child thinks that they're going to play in the NBA and uh, they pick up a basketball three times a year, maybe not. Or if they're super short, they better be a really good shooter. Um, You know, when our children have these hopes and dreams, it's our job to come alongside them and be like, you know, yeah, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Or that would be amazing. But what, why do you want to do that? What is it about that that is really drawing you in? Oh, you want the cheering crowds. Oh, you want the big paycheck. Well, let me tell you something. With that comes a lot of temptation. And if that means that you would walk away from your faith, man, I hope that doesn't happen. I would much rather you walk with God and we're all in heaven for eternity than you do something that you have a prestigious job and tons of wealth, but you don't have time for God. So we need to be all in with our children's hopes and dreams, coming alongside them, helping them to see what's realistic, what's not, helping them to know how to manage those things. If you have a desire that comes from God, awesome. How can we work that? How can you use that in service to God? How can you use that in God's kingdom? We need to be all in when it comes to their friends. Man, it's important to know who your kids' friends are and what attracts them to those people. Is it that they have a common interest? Is it that they have personality traits that are the same? Are they Christians? Open your home. Have a home that friends can come to. So important. So you can see who their friends are and see the relationship and sort of be able to speak into that 
And we need to be all in when it comes to praying for our children. That is the most important thing. Way more than me shaping and molding my children, which is super, super important. As they get older, especially, I'm praying for God to put the right people in my children's lives so that they can shape and mold my children because I don't have as much influence as I once had. Okay, we're going to keep going here because we're getting a little long, but we want to help them become the man of woman of women, men and women of God that they will want to be in God's kingdom. And that means listening to them, listening to what they like about church, listening to what they don't like about church, helping them to see that church isn't just a stuffy place to go on Sunday morning. And the conversation that we just had yesterday in my home was that the church is not responsible for your spiritual growth. So when you go for one hour on Sunday morning, you can't expect that to be the all-in-all of your spiritual growth. Your spiritual growth is going to happen when you are in the Word. Now again, I have older children. The rest of the week, when you are listening to Christian podcasts and sermons, when you are seeking out people of God to have a Bible study with, that you know, the role of the church, hey guys, I know that this is the phase in your life when you're like, oh, it's boring. Why do I even go? It doesn't have the music I want, or, you know, the pastor isn't this or isn't that or whatever. And I'm like, guys, that's not the role of church. You're responsible at this age. You're more than old enough to be responsible for your spiritual growth. And yes, the church will come alongside you. It'll offer some things. But let's remember why church is there. Remember the prodigal. So if you have a child who is straying right now, and it is so easy, I've talked to so many parents, especially in these young adult years, whose children just are not living the way we would have them live or have walked away from the church for whatever reason, just remember to keep praying and keep being there and Be there with open arms when they do come home. Pray that God would put influences in their life that would lead them back to him. Pray that God would remind them of the seeds that were planted when they were young. Pray that God would open their eyes to the empty way of life that the world offers. I know the pleasures of this world can be fun for a time. They were for the prodigal. He certainly had a good time partying, sleeping around, being with prostitutes. And then... The party wasn't so fun anymore. When the money was gone, the people were gone, and he had nothing. And when they come to that point, pray that they see God as the answer, that he is their loving father waiting for them to come home. And he will he will welcome them back with open arms, and so will we. This is the first, as I said, in a series, uh, a four-part series. I have so much more to say about motherhood. But the the point today I really want to make is just that this is your calling. Don't neglect it. These children are your children. And again, if you had these children via adoption, that, that too, no mistake. Man, if these children ended up in your home, God placed them there. And I know it can be hard. It can be hard whether you gave birth to those children or whether they were adopted. But God will give you the strength. He absolutely will. Keep turning to him and turn to other people around you. Get your community. 
that can hold you up, your village that can surround you, that can pray for you, help you through the hard seasons. Like I said, just having someone step into your home for a while can be all it takes to give you the strength to get through the next couple hours and the next couple days. Don't try to do it alone. It is way too hard. It is way too big of a deal being a mom to do it alone. And I can't say enough. I'll just put this little thing out there. How important a mom's Bible study is. When my children were young, I met every Saturday or, or I think we actually only met once a month for the most part. Once a month on Saturday with other moms, we started a mom's group and we went through the studies that are in my book, Bible Moms, and then the studies that are in my book, Ladies of Legacy. And man, that was our support group. We we went through the studies, we talked about the women, and then we talked about our lives as moms. And it was so huge to just go and get that comfort from other moms who were in the trenches with children the same age. It was so important. I can't say enough. If you don't have a mom's Bible study, think about starting one. You can get books to help you through it. Just so important because you can pray together, encourage one another, be there for each other. Huge. That's enough for this week, guys. We'll be back to talk about it some more next week. This has been Little Things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. 